to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. A global poll conducted by Monster.com recently revealed that of those who responded to the poll, 76% described really bad Sunday night blues headed into the work week. Worldwide, the poll revealed that 62% of respondents described those really bad Sunday night blues, that anxiety that can grip that frustration, maybe even depression headed into the work week. So whether it's Sunday night for you or whether you have another night that is the, the eve of the work week, and maybe you call it something different, maybe it's not the Sunday night blues, but whatever you call it, it's real. The anxiety, maybe the sadness, the depression as you head into a work week, and, and typically, we would attribute that to suboptimal circumstances. So maybe a bad boss or understaffed, so you're working way too many hours and doing too many projects, or maybe a toxic work culture. And while all of those indeed contribute, I believe the, the reason is much deeper. The deeper reason is a lack of understanding of what work is and how God views work and how we are to view work coming out of his scriptures. And specifically, what is work according to Exodus chapter 31? So what is work? First, it is a calling from God. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 6, and behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab of the tribe of Dan. The Lord called these two men to this work. That's significant. They didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think it's a great idea. Let's go build a tabernacle. Okay, God, God called them. To this work. And there's two observations about this calling that I think are very striking. Number one is these were ordinary men. These weren't priests from the tribe of Levi. These were just two ordinary men from two different tribes in Israel that God called to this work. And the second striking observation is that typically when we, got, when we talk about calling, we talk about calling to work from God, that it's a, it's a spiritual calling. There's, there's a spiritual work that we're called to. And yet we see here that God called these men to do the work of a woodworker, 
God called them to do the work of a blacksmith, to do the work of an even fashion designer, designing the garments for the priests, uh, to do the work of artistic design. They were called to do this work that really is on the same plane as the vocations and the jobs represented in this room, which means that this passage has incredible relevance to the work that you do 40 plus hours a week. In his book, Habits of the Heart, Robert Bella describes what he calls uh, expressive individualism that has so taken root in our culture that individual choice and individual expression has risen to a level where there's no room for overarching truths that would bind us together for the common good. He expresses it another way. He says there's so much individual expression that we've lost sight of the common good for society. When we talk about vocation, typically we just mean a job, right? Vocation just equals job. But that's not what the word vocation means. In fact, the root of that word, it's a Latin root called vocare, it means to call. It means to call. A job is a vocation only if someone calls you to the work and calls you to, the, to do the work for them or someone else and not yourself. That vocation is calling. The difference between work, or a job and a vocation is the difference between work as a means of self-fulfillment, which would be a job, and work as a means of calling from God for the good of society. Right? That, that's what a vocation is. Work is not merely a job that is for self-fulfillment. By that, I mean to make a lot of money, although there's nothing wrong with making money. But for self-fulfillment, to make a lot of money or uh, to have a certain lifestyle or to work to make a name for yourself so you have a name in the, the community or a name in society. Like those are all means of self-fulfillment. Work is a calling from God for the good of society, not for self-fulfillment. So the question then has to change. The question moves from, what job can I get that will make me happy? I.e., make a lot of money, be able to go on vacations, little hours, do my hobbies, make a name for myself, whatever those means of happiness are, is not what job can I get for happiness, but what work is God calling me to for the good of society? I was a young adult. I had just graduated from the University of Texas, and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and took my first job. And my big welcome to Charlotte was I got a speeding ticket. And I think it was probably my first ticket because I realized when I got it, that if you don't do anything, you get points on your license. And, and so they offered on it, you can take this Saturday morning driver's ed course and not get points. I thought, yes, this is great. So I show up at this Saturday driver's ed course, four hour long course in a room full of people that nobody wants to be there. Except the instructor. I will never forget it. In his introduction to that course, he stood in front of a room full of people that didn't want to be there, and he said, this is my 
calling. I believe I'm called to help you become a safer driver and a better driver. You know what my first thought was? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You know what my second thought was? This is amazing for two reasons. Number one, it was Saturday morning. There's a lot of better things I can think to do on a Saturday morning than either be in a driver's ed course or teaching one. But number two, I knew that this guy wasn't getting paid much to do this. And yet he believed it was a calling and it was evident in the way that he teached, taught the course. He actually cared. He believed what he talked about. When he talked about approaching an intersection and hovering your foot over your brake in case something happens, he meant it and he believed it. I was a young Christian at the time. I'd just come to Christ. It was a beautiful picture of what it means to work towards the good of society. I take my kids to school every morning. And every morning I come to this intersection on this four lane road. And off to the right of the intersection in the grass is a white sedan. Most of the time he's standing outside the white sedan. It's an older man, I, I, I'm sure he's retired. He wears a green vest and he carries a stop sign in his hand. And he helps kids from one neighborhood to cross this four lane road to get to their school. Now I show up at that intersection the same time just about every morning and only a handful of times have I watched him help a kid across and every time it's been the same kid with a bike. And he stands out in the middle of that intersection and he holds his stop sign up and he watches this kid go across and he waits until that kid steps foot on that sidewalk and gets squarely on his bike and moves forward until he drops that stop sign and he walks out of the intersection. Now, I don't know the story behind it, but I'm pretty positive he doesn't get paid to do that. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to work towards the good of society towards the good of the community. So it begs this question, in what ways do you need to recover the idea of vocation, of calling in your work? In what ways do you need to recover the idea that God has called you to work, not as a means of self-fulfillment, but to work towards the good of society? What is work? It's a calling from God. But second, it's an equipping or a gifting from God. Verse three, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, work in every craft. Last half of verse six, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. These two men were not just called by God, but they were equipped by God for the work he called them to do. And it's interesting to note that it's the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. 
the same spirit that created the world was at work now filling these men to do this work. Typically, when we talk about a filling of the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Spirit filling you to do some sort of spiritual work. So you're filled to preach the gospel, or you're filled uh, to teach, or you're filled to, to, to prophesy, to be a prophet, or, or whatever it may be. But these men were filled with the Spirit to carve wood, to hammer metal, to sew garments together, to make artistic design. The Spirit of God filled them to do this. And what were they filled with? Well, there's three words there. Ability, intelligence, and knowledge. Now, what do these words mean? Ability can read wisdom, the gift to understand what is needed to fulfill God's instructions. The word intelligence, that's, that's the talent for surviving or for figuring out how to solve problems, inevitable problems that come when you're doing something that involves complexity. That's intelligence. And then the word knowledge. Knowledge means the experienced and skilled hand to actually do the work. That's what they were filled with. Now, these men probably had some natural gift from God. They probably were naturally gifted from God in the first place, but God then equipped them and gifted them specifically to build the tabernacle and gave them the gifts to accomplish this. And this is the same spirit that created the world, was now at work equipping these men to do the work. It's interesting to note in this passage that Moses, who's very much at the center of the tabernacle, was not called to build the tabernacle. He was given instructions for it. He even wrote those instructions down, but he wasn't called to build the tabernacle. Why? Because he wasn't gifted for it. He was a prophet, a priest. The tabernacle needed woodworkers, and it needed metal workers, and it needed artists. And that's what God raised up, and that's how he equipped these men two very important points of application that come from these truths about the equipping of these men. The first truth is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, equipped them. Second truth is that they were actually uniquely gifted to do the work and equipped to do the work. Now, the first truth, the Holy Spirit equipped them. What we learn from this is that there is no spiritual non-spiritual divide in the world. And what I mean by that is typically we talk about my work as pastor being spiritual work. But your work out in the marketplace, Monday through Friday or whenever you work, 40 plus hours a week, is non-spiritual work. That's false. The scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures teach that all work is ministry. All work is from God you're called by God, filled with the Spirit, to accomplish that work. That's the first application. Second application comes out of the, the unique gifting. This teaches us that you don't have to be great at everything. In fact, you're not great at everything. That we're all uniquely gifted very differently. So you don't have to be great at everything. You're not great at everything we all want to be great. When you try to be great at everything, 
it fails. You get crushed. That's not how God has gifted or wired you. He's wired you uniquely. He's wired you specifically. Years ago at a previous church where I served, there was a school attached to the church. And there was a man, he was a grown man by the name of Steve who had Down syndrome. And so he was very limited in what he was able to do. But what he could do really well was take the trash out of all the rooms in the school and all the rooms in the church and go take all those trash bags and dump them in the dumpster. And he did it really well. It was one day after school, kids were gone. This teacher came out of her room and it had been a hard day and she was dejected and she was struggling with what she was doing as a teacher. One of those days, questioning, self-pity, it was all happening. And she's walking out of the school on the sidewalk towards her car, and she passes Steve. And Steve looks at her, looks into her eyes and says, it was a joy to take your trash out today. That man was called by God. And he was equipped by God to do a very specific work that that church and that school needed so that classrooms and rooms stayed clean and weren't overflowing with trash. And he did it well. He did it well. God has equipped you. God has gifted you to do the work he's called you to do. You know, my first question was, in what ways do you need to recover the idea of vocation, of being called by God to do work for the common good, not for self-fulfillment? The second question is this. In what ways do you need to recover the idea of God's gifting and equipping of you to do the work? Let me combine these two. If you view your job as a means of self-fulfillment, then it's possible that you're doing work that you're not gifted or equipped for. Because if you're working a job for self-fulfillment, maybe that's to make a lot of money, or if you're, you're working a job just so that you have a name, right, a reputation in your social group or your community, then you may be doing work that you're not gifted or equipped for. When you're called by God to do work for the greater good, then he both equips you and lines you up with your gifts and your equipping to do that work. And yes, joy follows. But that's different than working a job as a means for self-fulfillment. When you're working in a job you're not gifted or equipped for, it will eventually crush you. And so it's calling from God and gifting and equipping that lines up into work that is good for society, but also brings joy, albeit with frustration because we're in a broken world. What is work? It's a calling from God 
It's an equipping from God. And finally, work is part of a greater vision from God. It's part of a greater vision from God. God calls these men, he equips them, but for what purpose, right? To what end? What's the purpose that they're called for? Well, verses seven to 11 describe all the furniture, the decorations, the garments that God commanded them to make for the tabernacle. They were called and equipped to build the tabernacle. We learn in Exodus 25 and 26 that the tabernacle was temporary, right? That was the place where God dwelled with his people in the wilderness during their 40 years in the wilderness. But once they crossed into the promised land, the tabernacle would give way to the temple, the permanent physical structure where God would dwell with his people. But then God's people would make a mess of the temple. They would turn the temple into a means of self-fulfillment. And we see that in, in John chapter two, when Jesus comes into the world and he goes into the temple, what does he find? It's a marketplace. Business and commerce and transaction, they're, they're using the temple right, to make money. They're, they're using God and work of the temple for self-fulfillment instead of a place for worship and a light for the nations, the good of the world around them. It had become a place of self-fulfillment. That's why Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. He was saying that his body was the temple, that Jesus' body was the place where God would dwell with his people, and then that even extended to the body of Christ, the church. The church is called the temple in the scriptures, the place where God will dwell with his people and be a light to the world. But even that has a finish coming. Because one day the entire earth will be the temple. Once again, just like it was in the garden when God dwelled with our first parents. That day's coming when the entire earth is the temple where God dwells perfectly with his people. Work is a means towards that end. That's the greater vision God gives you work, calls you to it, equips you for it to, to be used by God to build the kingdom, to build the new heavens, the new earth that is coming, right? To build the temple. Jesus is the one who is the master builder. He's the one that is, that is building the kingdom, but he uses his church to get the work done. He uses his church to get that work done. So your unique work is part of this bigger vision. Now, you may say, okay, this all sounds good, but I'm having trouble connecting my work to this big vision of new heavens and new earth. You may struggle to understand exactly how your work connects but Jesus doesn't because he's the master builder. I want you to imagine that you're a, you're a stonemason and you're working on a team of masons to build this beautiful stone structure, this beautiful stone building. And there's a master mason that's responsible for the whole building and he has you working for him. And so he comes over to you and he hands you a stone and he says, hey, I want you to, to chisel off that corner of the stone and smooth it over. I'll be back in a little bit. And he walks away. And he comes back, he says, uh, that looks good. Now I want you to carve something in the center of the stone right here. And then this side, I want you to chisel it off a little bit, smooth it out. 
And so you do that. You don't know where this stone goes in the building, but the master mason does. He knows exactly where this stone is gonna go, which is why he can give you the exact instructions on how to build this stone. He knows where it's gonna go. Jesus is the master architect. He's the master builder. He's the one right, that takes your work that you're doing and he knows how it is going to contribute to the greater vision of the new heavens and the new earth for the good of society. He knows. Your work in the marketplace is part of this greater vision, which is the church scattered. Your work in service at Christ Church East is part of the greater vision, which is the church gathered. Church scattered, church gathered. The reality is that we turn work over and over into a means of self-fulfillment. That that's just where our sinful hearts go, that we turn work into a means of self-fulfillment. To use the, the metaphor of the, the mason, we just start chiseling this stone how we think it, it looks good. Well, I'm just gonna make it look good here. I like that there. We, we just kind of do it because that's how we think it should go. And we lose sight of the greater vision. We lose sight of God's calling. There's only one human being who has ever worked perfectly for the good of society, for the good of the world. And it's not you. It's Jesus Christ. He is the only person who has ever perfectly worked for the good of others, for the good of the world, for the common good. And Philippians 2.14 or 2.4 says this, let each of you look to the interest of others. That's that for the common good, not for self-fulfillment, but for the common good of society. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus says, have this mind among yourselves, working for the good of society and not self-fulfillment. And this mind and heart is yours in Christ, which means it's yours through faith and repentance. And that's not just one time. It's over and over. It's turning from the sin of self-fulfillment and just working a job because it's a job that's gonna make me happy to turning to work as a calling for the good of society. That move and that shift is called repentance and that happens not just once, it happens multiple times a day. It's turning back to Jesus as the master builder, the master architect, saying, Lord, help me chisel this piece of stone. Tell me what I need to chisel, tell me what I need to do. Taking cues from Christ who calls you to the work, equips you to do it, and reminds you that there's a greater vision of how your work fits into the whole. And you can trust Jesus with that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust your son Jesus. That he is the master builder. That he's making all things new. that he's building the kingdom here on earth, that he's building the new heavens and the new earth, ushering that in, and that 
He uses us, frail, sinful people, to get that work done. Father, would you help those in this room who are working, who spend a good part of the week working, would you help them to to get hold of and to recover this idea of calling? that they would understand that they're called by you, God, to do this work, that there's no spiritual, non-spiritual divide, that it's a calling and a filling by the Spirit to do your work and that you equip them towards this greater vision and this greater work of the new heavens and new earth. Father, we confess our selfishness. We confess our working for self-fulfillment and forgetting that we are called to work for the common good. And thank you for this meal that we're about to enjoy that is symbolic of the self-giving work of you, Christ, of you pouring yourself out, of you pouring your life out for our good, for the good of the world. Pray that you would bless this meal and use it profoundly to bring transformation to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.